Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Well, I'm sure some of you <clears throat> might be thinking, did he forget that it was Easter when he chose this passage for his sermon? Exodus 20:12, honor your father and mother. Seems like a good passage for like a youth camp but not so much for Easter Sunday. Um, well, I do know that it's Easter, obviously. I didn't forget that it was Easter. Actually, I think this is one of the most important passages in the Bible for understanding the Easter story. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if you've never heard Exodus 20:12 preached on Easter, or at least if you've never thought about Exodus 20:12 on Easter, then you've really never understood Easter. You have to understand this passage in order to understand what's really happening in the Easter story. So let's get to work. Well, if you've been with us uh, over the past few weeks, we've been in a sermon series that we're calling 10 Rules, and we're looking at uh, the Ten Commandments uh, week by week, and we've kind of calculated them or ca- uh, couched them, if you will, in a, in a rule, in a word. Um, and we're calling this the, the Rule of Order. There is an order about... God's design, and we've been looking at these commands through three lenses. Uh, First of all, what do these commands teach us about just the practical wisdom? What what practical wisdom do these commands have to offer us? Secondly, we've been asking the question, what do these commands have to teach us about the character of God? Do these commands tell us anything about who God is and what his character is? And finally, thirdly, we've been looking at what do these commands, what do these words, what do these rules teach us about the gospel? So let's, as we look at this text today, let's follow that pattern. What practical wisdom uh, does this passage have to teach us? Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Well, clearly this is a helpful passage for children. Uh, It's instructive to children. The wise child, the posture of the wise child is to honor his or her parents. And there's actually a lot that we need to say here. There's, there's a lot about the posture that parents should have toward their children, the posture that children should have toward their parents. There's a, a lot of wisdom, there's a lot of practical instruction that comes out of this command. In fact, we thought so much so, they are actually going to release a, a little podcast this week as a follow-up to this sermon just about that, about parenting and about what does it mean to be a, a wise and faithful child? What does it mean to be a wise and faithful parent? And I'm actually going to be interviewing our newest staff member who's sitting right here, Lou Priolo and his lovely wife Kim next to us. Lou started uh, about a week and a half ago, and so, so glad to have them. Lou is a full-time biblical counselor for us, and uh, he's written a lot about parenting, a lot about what it means to be a faithful parent and a faithful child. And so stay tuned for that um, as it comes up. But this, uh, this idea, this, this, this posture of a wise child toward his parents, we, we see all over the Bible. This is from the very beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9, um, kind, of, kind of setting the stage for the whole book of wisdom that is the book of Proverbs. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants around your neck. Now, some of you may be saying, well, hold on. You don't know my parents. 
this might work for your parents, Jason. I'm sure they're lovely people, but, but my dad, he doesn't love God. He, he doesn't have wisdom to offer. He, he was never there. In fact, half the time I didn't believe that he loved me. Or, or maybe you say, well, my mom, she is so harsh. She is so judgmental. She is so hard to live with. And on and on and on. In fact, you know, I, I've done a lot of counseling in my time as a pastor. Rarely do I get in deep with someone and bitterness or pain or uh, codependence or some issue with their parents doesn't come up. So why is this command so important? Why is the Bible concerned with our relationship with our parents? Well, I think in order to answer that question, you got you to gotta ask yourself the question, why did God give us this command? What is the point of this passage? Well, there's actually one clue here in the Proverbs passage. One verse before, in Proverbs 1-7, it's a famous passage. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The very next verse, hear my son, then your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. You see the pattern there? If you want to fear the Lord, if you want wisdom and knowledge from the Lord, listen to your parents. Your parents for good or for ill, and this is, this is true no matter who your parents are, your parents for good or for ill are the, the first people in your life that begin framing your understanding of God. They're the, they're the first people in your life that begin framing your understanding of what is right and what is good and what is true in the world and ultimately framing your relationship with God. So we see that pattern here. We, we also see it, I think, even in the Ten Commandments. Traditionally, the Ten Commandments have been seen as four vertical commands. So four commands that have to deal with your relationship with God. And then six horizontal commands. Six commands that have to deal with your relationship with other people. So the vertical commands, have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven image. Take, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Vertical commands. This is my relationship with God. And then, of course, the horizontal commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And so forth. How do you relate to other people? four and six. But I actually think this command, it's traditionally been put in the horizontal list. I think it's a vertical command. I think it's actually more rightly in the vertical list. How are you going to know God? Well, how are you going to keep God a priority in your life? Well, you're going to remember the Sabbath. You're going to have no other gods before him. But, but first, you're going to listen to your parents. These parents that God was giving this command to, these particular parents, they had seen the wonder and the power of God. They, they had been delivered from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, and just because they were God's people, just because God was with them, they had seen God take down the most powerful nation in the whole world in order to deliver them, in order to bring them to this good place. They had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. God had spoken to them. God had given them his instruction and his command. And so how was God's blessing going to stay with the people from generation to generation to generation? The parents were going to love God. They were going to remember the, the works and the deeds that God has done. They were going to love the instruction of God and they were going to teach them to the children. And then the children were going to listen to this command. They were going to honor their parents. Again, we see the same kind of pattern in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means the, it's the second giving or the second law, the second giving of the law. So this is, there's the first giving. What about in the second giving? Well, we see the same pattern. This is Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7. It says, these words that I command to you today, right? So the, the instruction that I'm giving you, they need to be on your heart. 
press them into your heart, love these words that I'm giving you, and then what's the very next phrase? Before, before you even have stopped to meditate on what it means to have the word of God on your heart, very next sentence, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Love my word, hold fast to it, and be sure to pass it off to the next generation. Parents teach your children, children honor your parents. We see this posture. It's really to honor your father and mother is a double command. It's a command to parents to know and honor God, to be honorable, to love God and his word. And it's a command to children to listen to their parents and to honor them. And this is a command that comes with a promise. Now, I used to think that the promise was, and maybe I thought this because this was how it was taught to me in Sunday school. I used to think this command say, honor your father and mother and you'll live a long life. And I can see why a Sunday school teacher would want to teach this command that way to me, right? Because I'll kill you, right? I mean, you know, if you don't stop and listen to me, you're not going to live a long life. You're going to have a very short life if you don't honor your parents. But no, that's not the command. It's, it's not about the longevity of life. It's, the promise is that if you honor your father and mother, your days will be long in the land that the Lord your God has given to you. What does that mean? Well, God, of course, was giving Israel this land. He was giving them this promised land. He was giving them, hear this, his blessing. Honor your parents. Love the words that, that you are hearing from them because they're my words. Love the power and the deeds that they're speaking out because it's my power and my deeds. If you honor your parents, you'll, honor, you'll be honoring me and my blessing will stay with you. Honor your parents and in a very real way is just a command to honor God and to honor his word and if the people would do this God's hand of blessing his promise of blessing would stay with them so there's a lot of practical wisdom in this command but what does it teach us about the character of God what does this command have to teach us about God's character and it teaches us a lot of things again but two things that I want to talk about today first is that as we pray God is a God of order there is order about God's design. God has a plan. God has an order of how his glory, how his word is going to be known from generation to generation. God has a design. God has an order for the family, right? Families are not meant to be haphazard. There is a plan. There is a, a design for how families should work in the best way. God is a God of order. God is not, and I just want to say this clearly, God is not whoever you want him to be. You'll kind of hear that. You know, God, hey, God's whoever you want him to be. No, God is not whoever you want him to be. There is not a my Jesus and your Jesus. There's just Jesus. <laughs> and he's defined himself. And you can either follow him or reject him. And sometimes Jesus will say things to you. Something, sometimes God will say things to you that you totally disagree with. Sometimes God will say things to you that infuriate you. You know who says things to me sometimes that infuriate me? My wife. And that I totally disagree with. But you know what? A lot of times those things that she says that I hate, they're true. <laughs> The reason that Paige says things that I disagree with sometimes is because she's an actual person. And we have an actual relationship. And she has actual ideas. And there's an actual definition about her. She's not a figment of my imagination. You know, if you have a made-up girlfriend, she might always say what you want her to say. 
But real girls aren't like that. <laughs> no, real girls and real relationship implies sometimes disagreement. And I just want to say this. If you have a God that you never disagree with, if you have a God that never says something that, that bothers you, that infuriates you, that you have to think deeply about, then you have no God. God is not an echo chamber. My Jesus is no Jesus. It's an idol. Now, graciously, God has not remained a mystery. God has revealed himself. He has spoken to us about his order. He has revealed himself to us by his word, by his spirit. And what he is saying is, look, you don't get to define me. I am me. Get to know me. Get to know my ways. Get to know my truth. Get to know my beauty and live by it and teach it to your children. God is a God of order. I was at a party one time, big kind of Atlanta you know, secular party, a lot of like really well-to-do folks, a lot of attorneys actually. And somebody hears this like preacher's there. And so the, the host of the party kind of sticks his hardest guy on me. And, you know, before I could really introduce himself, he says, man, I don't understand why you Christians are always telling people how they got to behave and how y'all, why y'all believe this and why y'all believe that. And, you know, before I could even say anything, you know, why do you always imply your positions on people? And, and finally, before, you know, I could stop, I just said, sir, let me just ask you one question. Do you believe in order? Do you believe that there's any order in the universe? Before we get in down to the specifics of what Christians believe or don't believe, can we agree that the universe has order? Is there any order in the world? And, and you know, basically reply was, well, I don't know. I'll, all I know is people should be free to do whatever they want to do, and it'll all work out for them. In fact, it's always worked out for me. And that's something that, you know, rich white attorneys say, you know. I've done whatever I've wanted to do, and it's always worked out for me. And I said to him, what about the people in Syria? that are terrified that Assad might come kill them? Or what about the people in Haiti right now who are starving as a family because there's a corrupt government who's just doing what they want to do? What about the girl who has uh, a father who's a serial adulterer and now she has no trust for men? And he kind of paused and he says, well, all I know is it's gonna work out for me. You see, God is not whoever you want him to be. That makes no sense. That is a self-serving, individualistic, and irrational perspective. God is a God of order, and he is totally just. And he is all-powerful, and he will settle all things according to his perfect order. God is a God of order, but the next thing that we see in this passage that teaches us about the character of God is this, that God desires to bless his people. This is a command with a promise. There's a promise attached to this. Honor your father and mother, and there's a blessing that comes. God wants to bless his people. Now, some of you came today because you believe this about God. You believe that God wants to bless his people. God desires to bless his people. You want the blessing of God, I want the blessing of God. Everybody, even the most agnostic and atheistic person would say, if there is a God, I want his blessing. And there's three ways that I think people pursue the blessing of God. The first way 
that people pursue God's blessing is they do what they don't want to do because they believe it's what God wants them to do, right? They conform. They, they bend their behavior to something. They modify or they change your, their behavior in order to be blessed by God. This is kind of religion. This is moralism, right? I am going to conform to something. I don't like it, but I believe that in the end it's going to work out from for me. And if you're from a traditional culture, like many of us are, that's kind of how you were taught, right? Do this, don't do that. I don't care if you like it. This is what you're supposed to do. And this is people's perception of most Christianity. Sadly, it's a lot of time how Christianity is presented. And in traditional cultures, things like the family, things like the church, these are powerful structures that give you a sense of identity. I... um, one of my favorite musicals is Fiddler on the Roof. And, you know, Fiddler on the Roof, it's a story about Jewish culture, very traditional culture. And uh, Tevia, the main guy, says, you know, how do we help from being a fiddler on the roof? How do we keep our balance? How do we have identity? And, he's, and of course, you know, if you know the musical, you know the word, tradition, right? Tradition. We may not like the tradition, but he says, because of our tradition, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. I may not like it. I may not like it, but I want God's blessing, so I'm going to do it. That's the way some people pursue the blessing of God. The, the second way that people typically pursue the blessing of God is they say, you know what, look, God wants me to be true to myself. And so I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what pleases God. I don't want to conform. I don't want to, like, bend towards some power structure. I just want to be true to myself. If, if this is what I want, then this must be how God made me, and this is what actually, ultimately, pleases him. He doesn't want us to be hypocrites. And this, of course, is kind of the way of the West. It's the way of the Enlightenment. We, we want to break free from oppressive power structures, to be free to who we want to be. I think of the movie, like, Far and Away, where Shannon Christie, the, the daughter Played the, the lady that's played by Nicole Kidman. She has to break free of her family's expectations, particularly her mother's expectations on her. And so she wants to move to America where there's freedom, where she can find her true identity. That's what's whole. That's what's free. That's what's ultimately pleasing, to break free from op- oppressive power structures, things like the family, things like the church. This is how God made me, and I need to be true to myself. If you're not doing what you want to do, then you're a hypocrite. So the first way people try to pursue the blessing of God is to do what they don't want to do because they think this is what God wants them to do. The second way people pursue the blessing of God is just to do what they want to do because obviously that's what God made them to do. But then the third way, and I would say really the only way to please God and to, to find his blessing is this, it's to want to do what God wants you to do. (laughs) It's to desire God's order. It's to love God's way. It's not just to do God's order, but to want it. God's order, to see God's order, not as oppressing, but as liberating. To find yourself in God's order because you love God's order. And that, of course, brings me to the third point, which is what this passage teaches us about our gospel need. You know, ultimately this passage is directed at honoring God. Honor your parents who are supposed to teach you everything about God so that you can honor God. It's interesting it doesn't say obey your parents. It's interesting it doesn't say obey your parents. It says honor 
your parents. It, the, the word honor here comes from the Greek, it's this great Greek word, kaved, which is, you often see translated for glory or weight, right? Give weight to your parents. Give glory to your parents. Find glory in what your parents are telling you. Ultimately, find glory. Give weight to God. Not wanting to do what God wants you to do, even, even though it may be oppressive or you hate it, but no, delighting in, in God's will because it's true, because it's right. You know, my children right now <coughs> are young, and I can basically kind of make them do what I want them to do, right? I mean, if I, I can, you know, manipulate them, right? If they don't want to eat their vegetables, I say, you know what I say? No dessert. Which kind of doesn't make sense, right, that I, like, give my children dessert every night just so they'll eat healthy. <laughs> or I could say, you can't get up from the table and go watch TV until you eat this, right? I can kind of make them do what I want them to do. I can kind of get them to conform to my will. But does that, when, when they, if my child eats a vegetable because I, they know that they get dessert, does that honor me? You know? Or are they just doing something? Does that please me? No, ultimately, I want them to desire what is good and right for them because they see it as good and right. right? I, I want them to do their homework, not because they can't go out and play until they finish their homework, but because they ultimately need to do their homework. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, parents, like, God gave us the law as a guardian, right? So, Keep the dessert and outside, you know, parameters going, you know. But in terms of what I want to actually happen in their hearts, I want them to desire what is good. I want them to desire, if you will, the way that is right for them. I want them to desire God's way. I don't want them to come to church because I drag them to church. Now, again, it's right if you're a parent. God's giving you responsibility to, to raise your children up in the discipline of the Lord. But, but ultimately, what honors me? What do I want to see happen is when they want what is good for them, when they desire what is good for them. And it was the same thing for you, right? As your pastor, right? I, I want you to desire God's will. I don't, I don't want you to leave today being like, you know what? Ashamed that you're not a better Christian, I don't want you to leave today afraid, getting your life in line because you're afraid. You know what? You know the old like you might get in a car accident when you go home. I, I, don't, I don't want you to leave today doing something because I have threatened you with a car accident on the way home. I want you to leave today delighting in God and what He's done for you. This is what it means to honor, to honor, to give honor to your parents, to give honor to God's way. To want what God wants, but how do you do that? How do you do that? You know, to quote Bonnie Raitt, you can't make your heart feel something it won't. Jonathan Edwards, um, who's a great American theologian, philosopher, he, I've, I've cited this book before, he wrote this book called The Nature of True Virtue. And he talks a lot about true virtue. And, you know, he famously gives the example of lying. Why do people lie, he says. Well, he says, one of the reasons people lie is fear, right? You, you did something wrong. You don't want to get caught. You just make up a quick little lie and get away from it, right? You lie because you're afraid. He says, another reason people lie is pride. You don't like the truth, you know? 
You really want this to be true about your life. And so you lie, you tell a lie to make yourself look better. Fear and pride. And nobody wants to be motivated by fear and certainly not pride. That's no way to live. But then Edward say, why do a lot of people tell the truth? And one of the reasons people tell the truth is because of fear. They don't want to lie, get caught in a lie. I have to tell the truth, right? We even, we even use power structures to kind of put you, you better tell the truth, right? You better not lie right now. Same thing, you know, why do people um, tell the truth? Well, a lot of times it's pride. They, you know, I'm, I'm Jason Dees, right? My word is my bond. You can trust me. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I may not have much, but I'm going to have my name, right? Fear and pride. And so Edward says, what does it tell us that if the same motivators for truth telling and lying are the same things? You know, he says that the truth telling here in this case would be common virtue, right? We're, we're grateful people are telling the truth, but it's not true virtue. It, it doesn't speak true of their heart. Jesus told a famous story about two brothers that we call the parable of the prodigal son, but it's really a story about two brothers. There's a younger son and an older son, and you know, the younger son is incredibly illustrative. He's the modern man. He's the progressive man. He's doing what he wants to do. He, he's got to get away from the oppressive power structure that he's been living in. He's the younger brother. He's a victim of a society that oppresses younger brothers. And he says, I got to get out of here. I got to be my own man. He gets his inheritance from his dad. He goes off and he does what he wants to do. Why? Pride, right? He doesn't love his father. He doesn't trust his father's way. He doesn't believe that his father's plans for him are good. So, of course, he's not honoring his father. But the older brother, later in the story, we see the older brother actually rejecting his father also. Remember, the other brother comes home. The father throws this big party. He goes out into the field to go and get the older brother. He says, come and celebrate and the, and the older brother, who always did the right thing, right? He was always buttoned up. He always did his duty. Even if he didn't want to do it, he did what the father wanted him to do. Even if he hated it because he wanted the father's blessing, because he wanted the father. To, and then this younger son goes off, does whatever he wants, and he gets the father's blessing. The older son, son is furious. The older son you know, disrespects his father. He doesn't honor his father either. He didn't love his father. He was just manipulating his father. These two boys in this story, it's such a powerful story because these two boys couldn't be any more different than they were, and yet their heart was exactly in the same place. A heart full of pride and self-love, and neither were honoring their father. So what about you? What about you? You know, some of you came here today and it's Easter Sunday, and you go to church, but you go to church every Sunday, because of course you go to church. You're a good person. Of course you dutifully go to church. You want the blessing of God. You look around you, and you see Western civilization crumbling, and you just think, I wish these people would just get it together. I wish these people would just get a hold of themselves. You even look around on Easter Sunday, and you kind of say, oh, where was that person last week? Where is that person? I've never seen them before. You're going to try to go to Easter Sunday church and think God's going to be pleased with that? Nice try. That doesn't honor the Father. You may be obeying the Father, but are you really honoring the Father? Are you really delighting in the Father's command and in the Father's way? 
You know, some of you walked in here today, and let's be honest, it's the first time you've been here in a while. Some of you maybe from the last time you were in a church service to this time, some things that have happened that you're not very proud of. And I get it, you know, you're busy, you're sp- you, got, you got stuff going on. But are you honoring God with your time, with your worship, with your wealth, with your life? And you haven't been honoring the Father either. Older brother, younger brother. They couldn't be more different. Yet neither of them had a heart like their father's. You see, you want the blessing of God. I want the blessing of God. But there's only one way to get it. You have to honor your father. Honor your true father. Not just do what he says. No, but actually delight in his way. Delight in who he is. Desire what he desires. But how? How do you do that? How does your heart change? And this is why we need this passage. You know, Edwards, in the book that I mentioned earlier, said that fear and pride can motivate you, but they don't change you. They can get you to behave a certain way, but they don't change you. You know what really changes you? You know what changes you? That changes your delight that changes what you desire. And it's this, it's beauty. When you experience and see true beauty and true beautiful love, when you see that and experience that, it, it moves you, it changes you. It doesn't just change how you behave, it changes who you are. It changes your soul. And the Holy Spirit works through God's word to do this work. And so with the help of the Holy Spirit, I I want you to see two things with me as we close. People like you and me who have not honored our parent, people like you and me who have certainly not honored and delighted in God, this gospel story can change us. So the the two things that I want you to see with me as, as we close with the Spirit's help is first of all, I want us to behold the obedience of the Son. I want us to behold the obedience of the Son. We are people who have not honored our earthly fathers, and we are people that have certainly not honored our heavenly Father. We want his blessing. We all want his blessing, but we either find ourselves conforming to his commands in a way that uh, is dutiful, in a way that brings no delight to our hearts, or we find ourselves just going our own way and, and, and in pride finding a life that is not what he desires for us. But not Jesus. Jesus, consider the obedience of the son. Jesus always obeyed his father. And more than that, he always honored his father. He always delighted in his father. He always delighted in his father's word, in his father's way. You know, there's so many verses that illustrate this. Here's just a few from like a few chapters in John. Jesus says, I seek not my own will, but the will of God. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm seeking. That's what I desire. Same kind of verse in John 6, 38. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of God who sent me. John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You hear the tone here? I want to delight in what God is doing. I want to delight in the will of God. Jesus, who was in very nature God, sought in all things to honor his Father. 
And you have to remember that Jesus became a man. Jesus was just like us in every way. His, his divinity was covered in humanity, and yet he always honored his Father. He always obeyed his commands. He always gave weight and glory to his Father's will. Consider the obedience of the Son. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he was tempted in every way, just as we are. He was tempted by Satan himself in the most heavy and weighty way, and yet Jesus honored his father and loved his father's words. When Jesus went into the temple and saw the money changers exchanging uh, things, and, and he, it says, the Bible says, zeal for his father's house consumed him. He loved what his father loved. He was, he was zealous for what his father was zealous for. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the father was showing Jesus what he was about to endure on the cross. Yeah, I, I don't know where everybody here is coming from, but I don't know how you've understood what the cross is about. You know, some people see the cross, some people talk about the cross, Jesus dying a, a martyr's death, or Jesus doing battle with Satan and overcoming. And to some degree, yes, those are happening, but primarily what is happening on the cross is this, Jesus is settling a debt that we had with God. That's what the cross is about. God is a God of order. He is totally just. He will reestablish all order. He will settle all injustice. There is no injustice that has ever happened that will not be settled by the eternal and powerful and glorious God, yet God is also gracious. And the amazing thing about the cross is that Jesus on the cross was willing to pay the debt of our unrighteousness, the debt of our sin. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, God was showing this to Jesus. God was showing Jesus what he would endure. Throughout the Old Testament, there is this symbol that keeps coming up in a haunting way. It's the symbol of the cup. This is just one example from Psalm 75, 8. It says, in the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to the dregs. And we see this language over and over and over through the Old Testament. I don't know if you understand the cup, the cup of God's wrath. What does that mean? Well, maybe you've thought about this. You know, Christians talk about a, a life of sin. If we, if, we are, if we die separated from God, if we die in our sin, separated from God, what that merits for people is an eternal hell. We believe that the Bible tells us that that to die in sin, separated from God, merits for you eternal separation from God, eternal hell. You might be like, how could that be? Well, it's, it's because we believe that God is so eternally and gloriously holy that to sin against such a God is such a deep crime that the only just punishment for that is, in fact, eternal punishment. If, you, if you've struggled with hell, don't start there. Start with the holiness and glory of God. If you don't have the right view of God's holiness and glory, you'll never understand hell. But if you do understand the eternal weight of God's glory, then you will see an offense against him 
is meriting something that is very severe. So imagine this punishment for one life of sin, this hell, and then multiply it times every life of sin. And that is what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about the cup. That is the cup of God's wrath against the sin of the world. And we see this language of the Psalms and the prophets. One of the cup, one of uh, the, the, the prophets calls it the cup of staggering. And Jesus, considering this cup, says to the Father, if there's any way, Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane, let the cup pass from me. But then what does he say? He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The most difficult thing that's ever been asked of anyone by God, Jesus delights in, obeys fully, completely, he totally honors in this moment his father. Jesus is the true, obedient son. Jesus is the one who honored his father. And therefore, Jesus is the only one who truly deserves the blessing of God, the eternal blessing of God. So consider the obedience of the son, but also consider with me the love of the father, the love of the father. We all want God's blessing, but here's the thing. None of us are worthy of his blessing. We haven't honored our father. Only one has honored their father. We haven't honored our earthly father. We certainly haven't honored our heavenly father. We have followed our hearts. We have gone after what is not the will of the Lord, or when we've tried to obey God's law, if we haven't honored him in it, it's been with a spirit of pride and self-righteousness. And yet God, when we were totally helpless, sent his own son, who he delights in, as a perfect and loving father, he sent his own son to rescue us, the son that he loved. I have three children. And I love them so much. I... You know, as a parent, you just, you have these moments, you parents get this, where you just say, man, I love my kids. They just do something, and you're like, gosh, I love them. I just could eat them up. I just, I, I love them. And I love when they are joyful, and I love when they are happy, and you know, my greatest fear is one of them suffering. My greatest fear is one of them being in pain. I couldn't imagine Something costing me the life of one of my children. I couldn't imagine something costing me the life of one of my children. And yet, the father loved you and me so much that he was willing to give one of his children. He was willing to give his child, Jesus. The father loved you and me so much that the father was willing to watch his son suffer and die at the hands of the Romans. The father was willing to watch his own people that he had cared for, that he had protected, that he had blessed, totally turn their back on his son. The father was willing to watch all of the best friends of his son abandon him at his time of greatest need. But more than that, more than that, so much more than that, infinitely more than that, the Father loved you and me so much that he was willing to give the cup of his wrath to his son. 
And I want you to hear this. And Jesus loved you so much that he willingly drank it. That he willingly drank it. And if you really believe that, if you really comprehend by the Spirit's power what I've just told you, that God the Father loved you so much that his son willingly, that he asked his son to willingly endure his eternal wrath to save you, to bring you into relationship with himself. If you believe that God loved you that much, that will move you. It will change you. It will shift your heart. It will change your desires. The gospel doesn't just change our behavior. It changes our desires. The cross is a statement that the Father monumentally loves you because he offered Jesus, the son that he loved, the cup of his wrath. The cross is also a statement that Jesus monumentally loves you because he willingly drank it. And the resurrection, the thing that we celebrate this day, is a statement that says all of this is true. All of this is true. It's not just, it's not just, it's not as Tara read earlier, just an idle tale. No, there, there really has been a resurrected Lord. Jesus is not just some prophet, some zealous preacher that came and preached and people started following, but then he was killed. No, there was a resurrection. He overcame death. He overcame punishment. He overcame the sin of the whole world. And there is hope in him. The resurrection proves that all of this is true. You want the blessing of God? You want the blessing of God? You want the blessing of God? Honor your father. And there's only one way to honor him. It's to behold the obedience of his son and to behold his love for you. And if you will do that, if you will look to the righteousness of Christ, if you will look to the love of the Father and the love of the Son displayed on the cross, if you will look at the truth of all of this through the power of the resurrection, it will move you, it will change you, it will save you. Believe that Jesus was obedient even when we couldn't be, that he has won for us a blessing and that he invites us through faith to share in this blessing. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes and open our ears. That we would be people who see and hear. That we would be moved by these things. Father, help us to behold today the obedience of Jesus. of Jesus who delighted in your word, who delighted in your way.
brought you so much delight. Father, help us to behold and to see today the love of the Father who loved us so much and so deeply that he willingly gave Christ his Son. He willingly gave Jesus up for us. There was something that cost him the life of his son, and it was us. It was our salvation. And the Father loved us so deeply that he willingly sent Jesus to be our salvation. We have hope in him. Father, give us faith to believe these things today. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us faith to believe these things today. Help us to behold the obedience of the Son who fully pleased you, Father. And and therefore, in him, before you, we have no fear. In him, before you, there is no condemnation. There is no shame. There is no guilt. We can come freely before you, the just and almighty and all-powerful God, because of the perfect obedience and delight in your will and way of Jesus. He honored you. And only in him can we honor you. Give us faith to see the obedience of your son. Father, give us faith to see your love for us. That the righteous has been exchanged for the unrighteous. That Jesus, that God put forward his obedient son in place of the disobedient son or daughter. God put forth the obedient child, the one who always did what he delighted, that he suffered our our sin, our shame. Help us to behold that love that changes us, that moves us, that does not leave us the same. And Father, I pray that by the power of your word and the power of your spirit, would not leave us the same, that we would behold the obedience of the Son and behold the love of the Father and be changed by it. This is our hope. This is our peace. This is our righteousness. This is our justification. This is everything that we are. Nothing, nothing in our hands we bring, Father. Nothing. There's nothing we could bring before you. Simply, we come clinging to the cross. Strengthen our faith, Father. Cause our hearts, our eyes, our ears, Lord, to burn at this truth. Father, may your spirit work in our lives. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.